Philippians chapter 1, we're going to cover verses 1 through 18 this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may test or you may approve test may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has hap- has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do so from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ not sincerely, out of former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Grass withers, the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. So this Sunday, we're going to begin, like I said, a a short summer series through the book of Philippians. We're hoping there's four chapters here and hoping to get through it in about eight weeks time, which is flying through it for me um, to get through that much time. And and anyone, really, we could we could spend a lot of many weeks in this book. But we're just going to try to take big ideas out of the book of Philippians and and just hear what Paul is writing to this church here at Philippi. Often when you begin a book of the Bible like this, if we were to take off and and study an epistle, I've done this before, where you would take a whole week to just discuss the context of the book, uh, who's writing it, who the recipients are, what the town of Philippi is like, what the relationship is. And uh, we're not going to do that this morning. And one reason is because if you really want to know that information, which it is interesting, Any decent study Bible is going to have that. You can go to Acts chapter 16. I encourage you to read Acts chapter 16. Gives you the birth of the church at Philippi. But we're not going to get into a bunch of that details on that because sometimes when we do that, it it lets the 
the listener think the only way you can understand the book of Philippians is if you have this giant wealth of knowledge about it. And that's not the way God has wired this book. His Bible. Because you, you can read this and there's a ton of things you can learn and discover just from reading the text and letting it speak for itself. So everything you truly need to know about this book, you can discover from within this book. And so we're just going to launch straight into what Paul is writing. Again, if you want to know more about the context of the church at Philippi, there's a lot we can talk about it after church, or you can find a good study Bible that would give you all of that good information. But for starters, when you start looking through this text, you can see this is already going to take on a different um, tone than some of others of Paul's writings. We are reading through Galatians, right? We just finished a passage in Galatians. And there Paul has a very stern um, attitude towards the church at Galatia. He starts out with this big admonition and proof about his apostleship. How he's been chosen by God. He has, he has uh, this incredible office as an apostle. But right at the beginning here, the Philippians, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, this is not the only place that Timothy is included or someone else is included with Paul in his introduction, but it's one of the few places that Paul doesn't remind them of his office. That he's not coming with this authoritative um, sort of just uh, laying, uh, laying it all out for the church at Philippi. He's coming with a, with a different, with an, a friendlier attitude of co-laborers. Paul and Timothy, servants, that word there, slave of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. There's this tone of this book of of not raising the bar of his apostleship that many of his epistles have. This is more of a friendly letter to a church that Paul loves. And that will come pouring out of this book as we get through it. But this morning in this greeting section, Paul lays out some main themes that you're really going to kind of return to the whole time as you get through the book of Philippians. He does this often with his greetings. They're... They're supposed to just be these little introductions. And then you find them just crammed full of, of good theology. We don't have time to get into all of it this morning or in our time as we get through this book. But, but many of his letters work this way. And we're going to see themes that are going to continually come back to us. I, I've kind of titled it The Gospel-Centered Life, the book of Philippians. And Paul is going to ring this note of the centrality of the gospel and what the gospel produces. Um, if you've ever gone through Philippians, been in a church that's gone through Philippians, it's often called the epistle of joy. Like that's just kind of everyone knows Philippians is the epistle of joy. The word joy or rejoice is used 16 times in this short book. So it is a major theme. But when you just kind of throw out there it's about joy, you miss what brings the joy. And really the book is about all of these things going on in the life of Paul and the church that brings this joy. The gospel and its centrality in their life and how it is bringing joy for them. So after Paul gets through this introduction of grace and peace, he launches into his content. And his first words, I thank God in all my remembrance. Paul begins thankfulness. I thank my God. And what is Paul thankful for? When he's, 
when he tells us here, but just if you think about the life of Paul, what's going on? What, what, is, what is Paul going to be thankful for? We read on down in verse 7 that these people are partakers with him of grace in two ways. The second one is in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, but the first one is because of his imprisonment. Let's just know, where's Paul at right now? He's in jail. This is one of the prison epistles. So Paul right now is in jail, likely in Rome. He's in jail and he's writing a letter and he starts it off with thankfulness. Now that should for a second make us, okay, how is this happening? Paul we know is in jail and yet he starts his letter out to these people with a thankfulness. What is he thankful about? What What would need to happen for you in this situation to say anything of thanks what would need to happen if you were in Paul's shoes you were put I mean just say you were even better off than Paul you were put in a modern prison Paul would have been stuck in a Roman jail but if you were in a, in a modern prison what would require for you to be thankful we aren't in jail like Paul is but It's convicting that Paul oftentimes seems more thankful than we are. We, he, Paul doesn't have a nice building to sit in. Paul doesn't have relief from his enemies. Paul doesn't have freedom. He has no rest from physical difficulty there in jail. And we could go on and on to all the things that Paul is suffering through. Yet he is thankful. What does he see? And and I... We want to be these kind of Christians that are able to let life, have life uh, throw all of these curveballs at you and yet remain faithful. Well, what is it going on in Paul that enables, enables him in the midst of all of these trials and difficulties remain faithful? What empowers him to be thankful? He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Speaking of this church, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Paul is thankful for gospel-centered fellowship. The Greek word there is koinonia, and it's, a, it's used in some form throughout this book and other places. But it's this idea of fellowship. What Paul has in mind here is he is thankful for fellow soldiers in the cause of the gospel. They are slaves together under this one master. And he says, in the midst of all that's going wrong in his life, I am thankful that I have partners in the gospel. I am thankful because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This gospel partnership continues and it is a source of thanksgiving out of the mouth of Paul that he has this unity. You know, we hear stories about things like this happening all the time. I read in one of my commentaries, um, Broughton, Broughton, how do you say that? It's an English name. Knox was a chaplain uh, in in the British Navy, and as and during World War II, and as they're loading the boats to come over to storm Normandy, they're on these boats and crossing, and they have this clear mission. 
And the boat is just vibrant, full of life. People are uh, getting along. The boat doesn't have any problems. They, they have the directive. They have a cause. They have a purpose. And they all are, are and some of the men were remarked, they never felt more alive than in this moment of going towards this battle. And they go and they, they provide support or whatever for the invasion there. And then as the boat comes home with the men on it, the chaplain begins to get very busy because these men start having interpersonal conflicts. There are all sorts of trouble rises up. They have um, all, they, they, there's scuffles on board and men come and are wondering what's going on, why, what's happening, um, what's the change that's caused. We were so, we got along so well going towards the battle and then now as we go home, all these problems rise up. When they were living for a single purpose, when they were living unified around a mission, there was a great source of unity that it provided and thankfulness for each other because they had each other on a mission to do a single purpose. They were unified around a great cause. But when that cause gets fulfilled or completed, then they no longer have this universally rallying, universal rallying point to, to focus on. And this is what causes Paul's thankfulness. He sees life with this mission of having fellow partakers, participants in the gospel, partners in the gospel with him. He has in the believers in Philippi, a shared goal, a shared purpose. And they are unified in their joy in the gospel and their desire to see the advance of the gospel. Which brings us to our main idea this morning. The main idea from our passage, just quickly, two things. The gospel-centered life is joyfully fueled by fellow partakers and proponents of the gospel. The gospel-centered life is joyfully fueled two things. Fellow partakers, what he has in the church in Philippi, and fellow proponents of the gospel. We see this in verses 4 and 5, right? Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want to pause. What, what kind of fellowship are we building here? What kind of fellowship are we building? What kind of koinonia are we building here? Groups across this community gather for all different types of reasons, right? You can join any sort of group that you wanted to. I got asked just this morning to join some other uh, group that was uh, looking for people to get on, and I'm not, not, not interested in joining that group. But you know, we have all sorts of groups, clubs. I mean, I'm sure that you all living in this community get asked as much as I do to join different groups and for different reasons. Why are we gathered here? Why are we bothering with fellowship? What is pulling us together? Churches across the, the county this morning are gathering for various different reasons. Why are we gathering? Only one reason matters. Do we have a fellowship that is grounded on the gospel of Jesus Christ? That we, as we sit in here, are partners together in the gospel. In the gospel. In the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, if the fellowship that we have is not grounded on the gospel, that fellowship, this fellowship, will not stand on the day of Jesus Christ. And honestly, 
If our fellowship is not going to be grounded there, and any other church's fellowship is not going to be grounded by being fellow partakers of the gospel, we should remove church from the sign outside of our building. Because it isn't a church. It's a social club. It is a gathering for various different, maybe fine, good reasons. But if a church is not gathered in the same way that Paul and the Philippian church is gathered, in partnership around the gospel, then we are failing. We are missing at something. I want to see many things happen here. But there is one thing that must happen overall, that we must be building and grounding a fellowship upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does a fellowship in the gospel give you? There's three things in this text that, with this beginning part, that the fellowship around the gospel gives you. Verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does a, a fellowship around the gospel gives you? It gives you confidence and a final good outcome. The day of Christ When Paul speaks this way, he uses this language a lot in his epistles, the day of Jesus Christ. He's speaking about this final eschatological end of it all day when Christ returns. And at the day of Christ, when Jesus Christ returns to rescue his bride, the consummation of all things, on that day, all those that have had the good work begun in them, this fellowship, this partnership that has started, he will complete There is a security that comes in having a fellowship around the gospel. This cannot be overestimated, overemphasized. The beauty, the power, the strength that comes that when you are laid up in the hospital and have had a terrible diagnosis and you have you have friends and family come along and they do nice things for you and they they help you with your laundry and they, and they do many nice things. But it is something different when a partner in the gospel walks in. When my, my pastor friend walks in and prays for me and my wife who are going through hard things. It is a different fellowship. Because there is something powerful about this connection of a partner in the gospel that knows no matter what this life brings. At that final day, he who has begun a good work will see it to completion. This is what... This is what fellowship in the gospel does. Brotherhood and sisterhood in the gospel can give you a great anchor, an an immovable anchor when troubling waters rise. Are we building that kind of a fellowship here, grounded upon the gospel? A fellowship in the gospel gives you confidence in a good outcome. It gives you joy over God's grace. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, verse 7, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. A true understanding of the gospel lays you low. You realize that you are a sinner whose only right response is repentance. And God's grace comes in and grants repentance to you, gives you eyes to see and treasure Christ and His work, and you are then made His own. Fellowship in the gospel makes you partakers and joys, joyous over God's grace. We are here because God has been gracious. If you are here in partnership in the gospel, you are so because God has poured His grace upon you. You link arms not because we are all 
aren't we all so smart sitting here together? Boy, we, we figured it all out. Aren't we craftier than all the rest? Aren't we all, you know, good, we're the good socioeconomic status, we're the, we're the better offs, or we're the, we're the worser offs, or whatever, you know, we're, we gather for all these different reasons? No. Aren't we glad we have such superior morals than everybody else out there? We have all these reasons why we, why we gather that mean nothing. We gather because we are all partakers, if you're here as a fellowship in the gospel, because we are all partakers of grace. God has been gracious. And the confidence and the great, and that confidence in the gospel, the grace that has come to you, it gives us the fruit of righteousness, verse 10 and 11, so that you may approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul gets more practically into how that works out in chapter 2, but our fellowship becomes all the more secured and all the more joyous as we all partner together in the gospel, fellowship in the gospel, have our confidence in that great day when we will not be let down, we will not be disappointed, joyous over God's grace, filled with the fruit of righteousness, which is love for God and love for each other that we all benefit from. The gospel-centered life is joyful, joyfully fueled by fellow partakers of the gospel and by proponents. How does Paul, we're, we're trying to get back to how, God, how Paul has this thankfulness. It's because he has partners. He has fellow partakers. There are those who are partners in the gospel with him. And those partners are proponents of the gospel. Not only is the gospel-centered life fueled because of fellow partakers, but that we also have fellow proponents of the gospel. Paul rejoices. This is mind-blowing to read. But he rejoices that the gospel is advancing. He mentions it first off in verse 7 in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. But jump down to verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. How is Paul able to be thankful in jail? He says, I want you to know what's happened. What's, what's the thing that's happened to him? Been thrown in jail. He's been imprisoned. It's not good. Not a good thing's happened. A bad thing has happened to him. We're clear on that. And he says, I want you to know what's happened to me, why I can be thanking God for you, why I can be thankful to God. I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, is what Paul says. It's astonishing. He's in this Roman jail and he is glad to be there. He's thankful to God. Why? Because he has partners in the gospel and the gospel is advancing. He has fellow proponents of the gospel. Paul is so driven by this mission to enjoy Christ and to make him known for the joy of others that no matter what difficulties come his way, he rejoices that he is on that mission and he's on that mission with fellow partakers. What brings you joy? When you read Paul, he, I'm trying to think of a time where he ever thanks God for things. And not that you shouldn't. God is the giver of every good gift. So we absolutely thank God for all the blessings that, that we have in our lives. Paul thanks God for people 
and for the advance of the gospel. This is what he is thankful for. We medicate ourselves with a million different enjoyments. But how many things bring real joy like what Paul is talking about? This type of joy that can not be stolen when you're thrown in jail. What brings this kind of joy? Only the gospel can do this. And the fellowship around that gospel that secures it. And so this morning, I'm inviting us, re-inviting, re-igniting, or inviting for the first time, you to be on this same mission that drove Paul and the Philippian church nearly 2,000 years ago and the importance that it should drive us to today. This mission of the joy that there is and a fellowship in the gospel and in making the gospel known and partakers of the gospel and proponents of the gospel. Is that urgency? I mean, so Christianity is just getting started. Is that really necessary here? You ever ask that question? You think, well, we're so Christianized. Everyone's Christianish here. Well, I've been doing some thinking for... Uh, I, just these numbers roll around in the back of my head, but the new census numbers came out, you know. Ringle County has about 6,000 people in it, right? Give or take, 6,000 people. We have a ton of churches in our community, right? So now, first off, I've, I've counted up all the churches, but many of the churches, full disclosure, I would not call churches. I'll just be honest. If, if the church is not proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if the church does not believe the Bible to be the word of God, if the church has an external source besides the Bible that is teaching them, guiding their life, a secondary word from God... I wouldn't call them a gospel-centered church. So you can knock a bunch of those off, but I'll be generous and say they're 12. I'll say they're 12. I think it's being pretty generous, if we're honest. But we'll say there's 12. And I'll be even more generous, and I'll say that the average attendance of those 12 churches is 50 people. I don't think it probably is. I think it's, that's maybe fair. Say there's 12 churches in our county. Say they average attendance on Sunday morning at 50 people. That's how many people on a, on a given Sunday are in churches in Ringgold County? 600. 6,000 people, 600 maybe being generous, darken the door of a church on a Sunday morning. That means 90% of our county has no connection to a church. 90%. So if you walk into the Princess Theater and watch Incredibles 2 this afternoon, one of ten will have been in church this morning. One in ten. You go to the grocery store and you walk down CGI aisles or hy V aisles and you walk down those aisles and you meet this person, the next person. Say you only meet six people. You may have met... You may have not met another person that ever attends a local church or that's involved in a local church. That is shocking. Isn't it? If it isn't, that that is startling. Now, you may say you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and I may agree with that. But I will say that if you love Christ, you will love his church. If you love Christ, you will love his church. We have serious problems. If you have neighbors and loved ones that have no real connection to a church, there is something deficient in their understanding of Christ and his church. Do you desire to see that statistic changed? Does that break your heart? I'll confess my heart has not been as broken over that as it should be. 
When you walk out of these doors this afternoon, you will see people, meet people, talk to people who do not have any connection to the church. Does your heart break over this? Practically, it looks like this. Ask your neighbor. This afternoon, you run into your neighbor. Did you go to church this morning? My church service was... I got, well, I don't talk about me. Um, but you could, you could, you know, have you been to church today? I've got a great church. Maybe, maybe even just something as simple as inviting someone to church. You may have friendships. You could be asking them, can I pray for you? What's something I could pray for you about? And then actually go home and pray for them. And then check up with them in a few days. I was praying for you. How's that thing going? Or something crazier. Pray for them right then. Talk to your friend. They got an issue in their life. Pray for them. Or maybe they ask you, how was your weekend? You could share some God language. You know, I had a good weekend. I'm so thankful. God has blessed me with so many things in my life. Or if the weekend's been bad, you could say, well, you know what? My weekend was terrible. But I went to church and I, I'm glad in Jesus Christ. I'm glad that I have a loving God and Father and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just language along those lines. Just practically ways that this can work out. Does your heart break for this community? Our thankfulness is to flow from... This is the mission I'm inviting you to. Okay? This is the mission. I'm inviting this gospel fellowship to get centered around the gospel and on this mission that we would all be fellow partakers and fellow proponents for a community that may not think it needs much, but 90% of them have no connection with any sort of biblical church. Part of the apathy, I think, comes from not seeing clearly what we are inviting people into. It's not a church building we're inviting them into. It's not a few special programs here and there we want them interested in. It isn't a volunteer opportunity we're trying to create for them. We're inviting them into a joy-filled, gospel-centered new life. A life that comes with fellow partakers of grace and purpose together. Don't you want your neighbor to know that kind of sustaining joy? A confidence that will keep them to the end? Don't you want to know that kind of joy? Are you building your life around that kind of fellowship? I'm calling us to it. And I think Paul, in their example with the Philippian church, is calling us to this. This thankfulness in the gospel in the partnership of God's grace and the proponent of its message. It's what we're remembering at the Lord's table. These are emblems of Christ's broken body and His shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a table that we share with every fellow partaker of grace. And it's a table that reminds us of the joy of the gospel and provokes us provokes us to advance the gospel and to have our joy found in the advancement of the gospel that all would know, that all would know there is a joy that is to be had in Christ for them. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and broken hearts, God, for, for this community. I want us to be a fellowship that is thankful, thankful in the gospel and unified joyously around this mission that the gospel would be advanced through our, through our good works, through our, through our good things happening, and through our struggles and our sufferings, that, God, the gospel would go forward. And that in this place, Father, by your grace, by your mercy, by your Holy Spirit, as only you can do, build us into a fellowship centered around the gospel.
partnering in grace together and advancing this good news in this county to the ends of the world, God. Do this work here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.